have really enjoyed the way that collaboration's been working across the industry. I think it's a great opportunity to work with many other practices in this collaborative way to really get the benefit of kind of industry best practice and see how other people are working. And I think it's a great way to upskill very quickly, not only for you as a practice, but for individuals within within your practice. Today we wrap up our conversation with director at Sands Associates Chi Mellum and our host Isabel Tolland. We'd like to thank our launch partner Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organizations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralizes your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com/adr. And now back to Chi and Isabel. In terms of your projects that you mentioned, the one that you wanted to kind of start back earlier from your maternity leave, was that the Dangrove project? Or? No, no, that no it was Darling Square. We hadn't really had a project of that size in the office up until then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I found that scale really fascinating, and it was quite interesting for me to work on a high density, multi res project in the middle of the city with a real public domain and urban design focus. So I I found that really interesting and and I couldn't give it up. Plus they, I was getting a little bit bored at home. <laughs> right. Are they the type of projects that you enjoy most? I'd I'd have to say I still have quite a broad range of projects that I enjoy for different reasons. I still yeah. like to have a home to design for for an individual or a family and really get to understand the way that they live and who they are and how you can tailor that space to their lifestyle. And the detailing and the quite bespoke nature of it is quite interesting to me. And the craft, mm-hmm. the larger scales are interesting because they encompass so much of the city and this kind of idea of making a better place and better spaces for everybody. That's also very interesting as well. And mm-hmm. then the challenges of of how do you get a good design in a dense urban environment? All of those sorts of things. So I, I do like the range. Of work that we have and what that offers, right?、Mm. And how do you decide which projects each of you as directors will take on? Then it's quite organic. The clients will call us, or we get inquiries. Who, whoever's free, will take that inquiry, or if it's of particular interest to anyone.、Mm. And because there's always two directors on every project, it's whoever might take an interest or whoever's free. So it's it's there's no real formula. Right. Okay.、Mm-hmm. Does that ever get confusing when there are two directors on the project? Who the or you have the main? There's the main. There's usually contact yes. There's usually the project director and then the peer review director. Right. Okay. The Dangrove Art Storage Facility was one of your most recent projects that's been winning a lot of awards. Could you talk us through how that project started and yeah, how you find that,、um, found that experience? That's a very unique project that I think you know it's one of those once in a lifetime type of projects. Yeah. Judith, as we know, has. A real interest in, she's a real patron of the arts. She's interested in leaving a legacy of good design and good buildings. So, when she found the need to expand her storage into a new facility, she was thinking about well, which architects would be appropriate that could be able to technically deliver this kind of very pragmatic space, but create a sense of 
design and and scale and volume that she was looking for for a bit of drama she landed on Zahn so she approached Alec they hit it off straight away and I guess the rest is history. How important do you think awards are to architectural practices? They're a great way to validate your achievements from your peers but I don't think it defines the practice. I think, you know, awards um, as much about timing as they are about the mm. building themselves. What might win an award this year might not win with a different jury yep. and different other, you know, other entries in the following year. Mm-hmm. So whilst it's great to have awards and, and great to be acknowledged, I don't think it's the only thing that defines a practice. And there are quite a few other awards that you enter other than sort of institute awards or awards within architecture and design sort of industry awards. How important do you think those other awards are? I think they're equally as important. As a profession, we can tend to be quite insular, but architecture is much more than just us. It's mm. it's the collaboration and industry partnership with so many other disciplines. Yeah. So it's really important that we uh, have presence in those in other industries mm. and promote what good design is as much as it is about acknowledging how important those disciplines were in in terms of achieving the success of that project. Mm-hmm. And are you quite involved in any of those other kind of, I suppose, professional bodies like the Property Council or...? Not at the moment. I no. think that's something that we've identified we probably should be more involved in. There's so many people that we work with on a daily basis that that have active involvement in in those disciplines that Mm. I think would be interesting for us to have more presence there. So have you had any particular mentors during your career that you think have been particularly influential? I have, and this is probably going to sound a little bit boring, but Dominic Snellgrove from Lendlease, when I worked with him, he was an extremely knowledgeable architect. He had a wicked sense of humour, a very sharp wit, and he he was great for me because he well he showed me that architecture could be fun you know there's 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 a side to it that is not all serious and i really enjoyed working with him and seeing the way that he managed his teams his clients and his consultants with this kind of this wit and this humor that overlaid everything that he did and that was that really inspired and brought people onto the journey with him mm-hmm. so i really enjoyed working with dom but I'd say that the four most influential men- mentors I've had would be the four directors I've got at Zahn's, and I know that sounds a bit cliche, but it, it is true. I've been there for so long. Mm. Alec, for me, has always been the epitome of what an ethical practice leader is. He has such a big heart, and, and I've I've always been quite inspired about the way that he relates to people and, and finds the importance in compassion and empathy. Jonathan, for me, taught me that very seamless integration between design and technical delivery, and I really appreciated that. Maladin is one of the most strategic people I've ever met, and I really have learned so much from him in terms of the way that he approaches architecture in every scenario in this very kind of strategic way. And and Ben is probably one of the most clear-minded and logical people I know, and I have l- I've learnt a lot from his clarity of thinking, but I think his strength is the way that he relates to people and how he's able to inspire a lot of people around him through humour again. Mm. So I- I'd have to say the four directors of Zahn's have been quite influential in framing who I am as an architect. So you strongly advocate for workplace equality and kind of actively lead this, I understand, in mm-hmm. the practice. 
at the moment you're the only female director amongst the five. Is there anything that you're actively doing as a practice to ensure that you um, achieve more gender equality across all levels of the practice? I think there's two parts to this. There's a really big difference between equality and equity. And, and that makes a big difference to the way we approach workplace equity at Zahns. Mm-hmm. So equality, I guess if we can think of it as this quite interesting meme that I saw, imagine there's a balustrade. There's three people standing in front of this balustrade. One's really short. They can't see over the balustrade. The other one's of medium height and the balustrade's at their eye level. And the, the third person's really tall and they can see over the balustrade. Equality would be giving them each the same size box to stand on. But what that means is that the short person standing on the same size box still can't see over the balustrade. Mm. The medium-sized person can just see over it and, well, the tall person hasn't made any difference to them. They're just copping more wind in their face. Equity is understanding what each of those three individuals need and giving them what they need to see over the balustrade or, in some cases, they may not even want to see over the balustrade. Yeah. So it might it might be that the short person does get a big box to stand on and more support so that they can see over. Yep. The short the the medium sized person may actually just want to sit down because they're no longer interested in seeing over the balustrade. Yeah. And and the tall person, well, they don't need a box because they they're happy with where they are. So, to me, understanding the difference between equality and equity is really important. Mm. And and that that flexibility of tailoring support for each individual within a practice is the difference between equity and equality. Right. To your second question, I am currently the only female director at Zahn's, but being a small practice, there's only so many directors that you can have before it becomes too top-heavy. Yep. What we have been doing is as the practice is preparing for growth and any potential changes, we've been spending these years really mentoring and training up a very strong layer of architects at associate director level, associate Mm -hmm. level and senior level. And I'm quite excited about what the future is going to hold because Mm. we have so many potential architects that are both female and male that would be able to continue to contribute in a meaningful way as they already are. You're also the practice implementation leader for the Male Champions for Change initiative. Have you found that particularly challenging? Male Champions of Change is a very interesting organisation. I reacted quite negatively when I heard that Mm. it was called Male Champions of Change and I think everyone asked the question, why is it not just called Champions of Change? It was explained to me, and it makes sense now, that primarily the leaders of most businesses are men. And in order for change to happen, it needs to start with the leaders of the business, which Mm. in this case happen to be men. Mm. So if we think of it less as male champions of change and Mm. think of it as male champions who will change, Mm. that slightly changes the perspective of what the organisation is trying to do. I think what's great is that the champions of change are in many different sectors and for the architecture industry, we have changed the name to Champions of Change. Yep. And what it does is it identifies what we need to improve in our workplaces to achieve better equity and balance. Mm -hmm. And for us, that's been a really good platform to review where we are as a practice. And I think we're generally doing pretty good, but we can always do things better. And the implementation leader role is really more of an administrative role to support Ben, who's our champion, to ensure that we are putting 
the steps in place to be able to implement all of these initiatives that are coming through. Are there also sort of aspects to it that involve your clients as well? There are. Yeah. There are. So there's a panel pledge, which which is less about clients. I guess it's more about the broader industry. Yeah. And we won't join any panel unless there is a, a balanced, I think it's 40-40-20 mix on, on the panel. Right. There's also encouraging clients to be more aware of the equity and balance. And I was starting to see change in that. we There was a meeting recently with a client group who are in finance, I think it was, and they are also part of their champions of change for their industry. Mm. And I wasn't at this meeting, but um, eight men turned up to the meeting and the client stopped the meeting and he said, this is unacceptable. There are no women represented at this table. So it's right. it's nice to see the broader industry are starting to embrace these changes. Yeah, that's great. Do you think there are any particular hurdles or barriers to women being better represented in leadership positions in architectural firms? I think this goes back to that unconscious bias that we were talking about before. I think this is much a woman's issue as it, it is a man's issue. I think we need to change our preconceived perceptions of roles within both the workplace and at home and I think until these kind of unconscious biases are changed we're going to continue to see these things perpetuate so I really I really think more awareness on our own unconscious biases are really important. Do you think there's been a shift generationally compared with the challenges of women before us? I think there has been a slight shift and it's better than what it was, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. And I think even for generations that are practising now, the fact that I'm still hearing the same responses when we do the kind of on-ramp interviews with our staff shows that we, we still, we need to talk about these things more have more listening and learning sessions so that people become more aware of the issues that we're facing. And I think the other thing is that leadership at the end of the day should be sh- should not be focused on gender or filling any quotas. Mm. It needs to be about your talent and your skill. I think talent is 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 something that can be honed but it's it's natural, you know, it's something that's ingrained in each individual. But skill is very much the product of time and opportunity. And I think when a person goes on parental leave, that time and opportunity is lost. Yep. So when they come back, you can't make up for that time, but no. you can make up for the opportunity. Yep. So it's up to workplaces to identify what each of those individuals need and what their visions are and where they want to be and see how you can best support them to increase their opportunities so that their skills can come back online much quicker. What do you think is the is most important for a practice to do in order to keep attracting the best industry talent across a variety of levels of experience? I think that you need to keep your staff engaged. They need to feel a sense of ownership and purpose. And I think there are a few things that will help with that. The first is getting the best work, I suppose, getting interesting projects. Mm-hmm. The second is really understanding what your staff need and want and how you can best facilitate that through the projects that you have or through the environment that they're working in. The other is encouraging everyone to speak up and be involved in the design discussion. That's really important for us at Zahns because you never know where the best ideas are going to come from. Yep. And when staff feel that they're heard and appreciated mm. and, and engaged in the process regardless of what 
you know, their their skill level is at, yeah. that often inspires them. It's a better outcome for the team, for the project, you know, for the for the office. So mm. having that kind of well-rounded approach to to projects, to staff fulfilment and to staff development and, and giving them a place where they feel like they can grow mm. and will continue to attract good staff, I think, yeah. and keep them motivated for the ones that are there. In the last five years, there have been particular shifts in our industry. So, for instance, collaboration between practices of a variety of scales, I think, has increased quite a bit and has been more encouraged even. And the private and public sectors in our industry have become increasingly enmeshed. What has your experience been like with these shifts? And do you think there have been any particular benefits or challenges to our industry as a result? I have really enjoyed the way that collaboration has been working across the industry. I think it's a great opportunity to work with many other practices in this collaborative way to really get the benefit of kind of industry best practice and see how other people are working. And I think it's a great way to upskill very quickly, not only for you as a practice, but for individuals within within your practice. Mm. The way projects are being procured now, making it really challenging for for architects to to deliver in these kind of short protracted timeframes there's an increase in competitions. We're seeing houses now with competitions. Bid and tender processes are, are becoming excessively detailed. So the amount of time that's being invested into winning work has mm. increased and the the certainty of getting work has, has decreased as a result of these competitive processes. Yeah. And I think it's it's important that we have them because you're pushing design excellence at every stage and mm. that's really great for the city but there's got to be other ways to achieve design excellence mm -hmm. you can you can do it through not necessarily through a competitive process maybe through a design review process mm -hmm. with the right people from the same levels of government and, and and council but we have to acknowledge that it's it's becoming so resource heavy yeah it's not a sustainable way for us to continue to work so it does sound like you know it is unsustainable as you say so it kind of has to all it does need to shift, and I'd like to see the model for achieving design excellence shift without eroding its intent of, of pushing good design. I don't have an answer to that yet. I'm quite excited to see what Abby will do in her new role as government architect. As you mentioned, this kind of idea of collaboration can be quite inspirational, say, I suppose, for various parties involved, but maybe also relies on or it benefits from a certain level of transparency and sharing knowledge between mm. practices too in order to have a successful collaboration. What do, what do you think are the most important, I suppose, factors to a successful collaboration between practices of varying scales? I think it comes back to that idea of leadership. When practices collaborate, there's, there's a healthy level of competition, mm. But there's also a fine line between being competitive and being obstructive. So I think when you're putting these collaborations together, they need to be curated. Not everyone can work together. Yes. No. And not everyone will bring out the best in each other. So in the way that you would very carefully curate who your team are or who makes up the structure of your practice, you need to do the same and clients need to do the same with these kind of collaborations because if you don't have a shared vision mm. and a respectful way of working together, then yep. that collaboration will fall apart. Um, how have you approached that as a practice, you know, as 
we were talking about, it, it is becoming increasingly encouraged, say, by clients in particular for particular projects, especially larger projects, let's say to collaborate, to kind of encourage a sense of diversity, which I think is a great thing. But then, as you say, you know, if it's not a good collaboration, then the mm. outcome is not necessarily That's better. Right. It's possibly worse. Yeah. So what would you, what would your advice be then in terms of for other practices? <laughs> what do you think would be the best way to approach that kind of collaboration? And when you're starting to think through who might be the mo- most appropriate people to collaborate with, I think there are a lot of labels that kind of Mm. get bandied around at the moment, you know, in terms of whether it like, especially where we're trying to achieve greater diversity. And I think it's important, as you said, that it's not so much about um, just kind of giving everyone the same hype box because, you know, that's not, that's not going to solve the issue. And the same thing with just kind of sort of box ticking exercises where you're trying to just bring on someone because of who they are, but not necessarily because of their skills or, yeah. I think all of that is quite problematic and I suppose as an industry we're just trying to kind of work that out because building those relationships kind of takes time. I think if you're lucky enough to be, say, in a lead role in these projects and you're putting together the team, first you have to really understand, well, what does this project need? What are our key objectives to ensure that this is the best outcome for the project? You come up with a set of criteria and then you then you need to assess, well, which firms that suit that kind of objective that you're trying to create for that part of the project. And then are there personalities or certain people within those practices that you think you can work well with? Because it's it's as much about the, well, it's, it's mostly about the people involved. You, you can have such a range of different people within each practice. And then have very clearly defined roles as to who's doing what. And then a very respectful relationship to understand where your scope ends and where the next person starts. Obviously, when you're not lucky enough to put the team together and you're thrown into a mix by the client and you find yourself with people that or or practices that may not share the same vision or processes as yourself, obviously that's very challenging and, and I would say that an open and honest discussion to set the boundaries at the start do your best to engage with their design and and keep that kind of interface very open if you can. Yeah. And obviously at some point you have to make a decision that if it's not working, is it better for you mm. and your practice to not be associated if it's going to be a poor outcome? Sure. Obviously that's the last resort. Yeah, right. <laughs> and in terms of kind of working with clients, I suppose, you know, often – building those collaborative teams. As you said, you know, architecture is a collective effort. You know, whether, I suppose it depends obviously on the size of a project, but especially when you're dealing with a very large kind of site with quite a multifaceted project, it often will be with a broader team of collaborators and and recognising everyone's role within that kind of collective is, it can be quite important. But also then progressively building those relationships to ensure that they work well Um can be very important too. So have you found over the years that you have a lot of repeat clients too because you've built this kind of relationship of understanding that you kind of have defined people that you you sort of are the best fit for your practice to work with? Yeah, I'd say probably maybe half of our work is repeat clients. Right. And that's quite important to us because we do like to pick and choose our clients. Yeah. We are mindful that the success of the project is is in an alignment with your client. So if that alignment doesn't exist from the start, we make a very quick call whether we continue or we even accept the job to begin with or not. Mm. 
The other thing is it's a very small industry and personal relationships are very important and people move around a lot. So we often find that though the client group may be a different name, we're quite often working with the same people and that's, that's um, that's quite good for us. You currently teach a housing studio in the master's degree at um, the University of New South Wales. Do you think maintaining those relationships with university and academia are are important? Absolutely, it's important. I think it's a feedback loop that students benefit from having practising architects guide and mentor them through their education. Mm -hmm. And I think for, for us as architects going back to university, to engage with kind of that conceptual level of thinking is a really good way to consolidate your own opinions on design and really clarify what your design principles are. So I think both really benefit from each other. What do you think will be the next major changes in our industry in the coming years? Like are there particular driving factors that you think will force these changes? I think the obvious one is obviously climate change. Mm. We need to change the way that we work and the way that we design and deliver buildings and how they continue to operate through their life cycle. And it's it's quite good to see that sustainability measures are now beyond just what the minimum statutory requirements are. There are so many initiatives out there that start to track social behaviours and the way that we interface with the way buildings can better operate. Half the challenge is us. Us as users of these buildings, we, we need to change our behaviour. We, we need to be, I guess, engaged in understanding how our behavioural changes then can affect the way that a building can run more efficiently and have less stress on the environment. So that kind of social sustainability is something that's really important for us to be able to delve more into. And then on the flip side of social sustainability, I do think workplace Social sustainability is really important too. Mm. We need to reduce the burnout of our industry. We yeah. we continue to work harder, to work longer. Projects are getting bigger, like you said. The process of, of finishing a building is is becoming longer as well. Mm. And and people are getting smarter about what they want. And we're seeing people, good people, leave our industry in droves. So yeah. we need to improve the way that we work. We need to start paying for overtime. We need to look at flexible ways of working, improving our technologies so that we can work flexibly Mm. and start respecting ourselves more and our time so that the profession can continue to grow these great architects and have have people passionate and inspired for longer. Yeah. So now onto some questions that we regularly ask our guests. What is it that you now know that you wish you knew when starting out? I think the obvious one is... Be inspired by others, but don't compare yourself to them because it'll cripple you. Run your own race and don't be afraid for that race to change in both its tempo and where you might end up running to. What advice would you give to a new practice starting out in Australia today? I think it's really important that as a new practice, you have a very clear vision of what kind of architect you are and what kind of architecture you want to produce understand what your core values are and what's important to you and know what that brand will be and then understand that you need a really good team of people to help you along this journey so figure out what that structure looks like and I think be 
true to the architecture that you're producing and don't compromise. And then attached to all of this is find the right people or experts to help you communicate your brand externally because um, we're such an internally focused group of people. We're not very good at articulating where our value is. And the more we can do that, the more people can value us and you as a new practice. And that'll give you more longevity, I think, over the long term. What do you consider to have been your greatest challenge in your career so far? And what did you learn from that experience? Definitely having children. (laughs) What I learned from that is, I think, mental resilience, prioritising your time, and also understanding people better. (laughs) I often say that life before children was like seeing things in black and white. And then once you had children, all of a sudden, everything switched over to this high-definition colour and everything was so much brighter and a little bit more distracting and there were so many more nuances to the way you saw things. So I think having children really changed my perspective on, on how the world looks. Conversely, what do you consider to have been your greatest success of your career so far and what was the key learning you took away from that? Not to make this sound monotone, but I do think my greatest success was also having my children. I think that very much changed who I am as a person and how I practice architecture and that the focus is beyond me. It's beyond kind of the present day. It's what kind of future are we leaving behind for our children and that makes you design very differently. That's so interesting because I don't think... I never really thought how much yeah, having children necessarily impacted on that kind of focus shift yeah. that you've described. So I think I, I sort of am starting to feel like a lot of people go through. Mm. And, I, and I do wonder whether it is related to children or like it would be interesting to know whether people without children have found yeah. that shift or not as well. It could be very it, individual, it, it, I suppose. It could be. I, I think for me personally, I I think having children has made me – really appreciate loving someone you know beyond yourself (laughs) and the the love and the sense of protection and kind of need to provide for your children is is so innate Mm. and when you look at where we are in the world at the moment and all the issues that we're having with climate change and the kind of how much our environment is eroding it makes me quite fearful to think what our children are going to be living in when they're our age. We do have a real responsibility to change now so that Mm. they do have a chance in the future. What projects out of the projects you're working on currently are you particularly excited or passionate about? I've just finished a competition and I always try not not to fall in love with each competition that I do because it just means the potential for disappointment is greater. Yeah. <laughs> but this one's quite a special competition and it's probably a unique one that we I won't have the opportunity to work on a project like this for a while. So I would love to win this one and I can't tell you what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is there a particular project type that you most enjoy working on? I, I don't. I, I like all scales of architecture and they each provide different degrees to connect with people and spaces and places differently. So for me, it's more about design and what can we do as designers to enhance the outcomes of our cities. So now five in five, I'll give you one word and if you could give us your off-the-cuff response as to what that word means to you. Success. Clarity and fulfilment.
Gender equality. Equity. Disruption. Transparency and communications. Opportunity. I'd say Zans. I think Zans for me has represented so much opportunity throughout my career. It presents so many opportunities for the people that are working there, for the people who will join us in the future and for all the projects that we're delivering at the moment. There's so much opportunity at the moment. Downtime. An opportunity to reflect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to G and Isabel and thanks to all of you for tuning in. Join us next time for a special one-hour episode with Malcolm Redding, the founder of Malcolm Redding Consultants, who chats to Steve Costa, Managing Director at Hassel, and Mark Lochnan, Head of Design at Hassel, about procurement, architecture, and competitions. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review, Madeline Swain, editor of Architectural Review, and Niche Media. With thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, and also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.